You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Okay, well, thank you for joining us. My name is Brandon Mallett. I'm the college pastor here. Uh, As you are probably well aware, there are a number of issues that have arisen in our culture during this time. And so because of that, I believe the Spirit has led me to preach uh, a sermon that I have entitled On Being Peacemakers. So I can already hear you. Oh boy, yeah, that's how I'm feeling in my head as well, and and every time I am afforded an opportunity to preach, I am reminded uh, just how much God uses broken vessels to preach, because I really am not qualified to preach on this, Uh, just considering as I've prepared through this all the things that I have directly contradicted that I will be preaching from the Word of God, but I pray that God would forgive me of these things. I pray that God would illuminate all of our eyes to the things that are happening in our own hearts that are manifesting themselves in actions towards one another that are not glorifying to God and are, in fact, besmirching the name of God. With that being said, I want to pray for us because this is, this is going to be a doozy, maybe. But let me, let me pray for us, and we'll ask for the Spirit's help. Father, we come before you, and we really do just ask for your guidance. We ask for your help. We ask for your peace. God, uh, fill us with your spirit. When we feel conviction, I pray that we would not run from it, but we would seek uh, what your word says in terms of how to interpret that conviction. Is it from you? Is it, is it godly guilt, as Paul talks about, that leads to repentance? Or is it worldly guilt that just tries to keep us in shame and guilt and sadness and despair? God, help us to discern what is going on. I I pray that these would be your very words, not my words, not my wisdom, but it would be your Bible, your scripture, your words, your exhortations, your commandments, your grace, your goodness, your peace, ultimately. God, help us to be peacemakers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll start in Matthew 5. We're going to flip a lot, so I would get your Bibles ready. And I really want you to be digging into your Bibles for this one because I think there are some really incredible texts that a lot of times we can skip over. But we're going to start in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you have the Beatitudes. And what you find are are Jesus is going to set forth all these patterns of life that he is going to call blessed because of what they receive. So, for instance, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. For or because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? So the poor in spirit are blessed because they are receiving the kingdom of heaven. You go through and you continue to see these different patterns of life that are blessed. But to me, there is one that is peculiar uh, because of, of the reason that that pattern of life is called blessed. And that is blessed are the peacemakers. And their reward is nothing monetary. Their reward is not really anything tangible, Their reward is a title. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I think that begs a question, what is the significance of that title? Why does anyone, why, if if anyone has the title sons of God, why are they considered blessed? And I think there is absolutely easily direct connection uh, to Jesus' very own title, son of God. 
The phrase, son of God, that that particular phrase is only used once in the Old Testament. It's used in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're thrown into the furnace and they look in and it says that they see a fourth who looks like the son of of God. Uh, Now, I am not a scholar in terms of, of Jewish history and culture, but apparently that phrase, the son of God, took on whole nuance of meaning and carries a ton of weight because throughout the New Testament it is used way more often and it is always used in a specific context and referring to a specific role of Jesus. And it's important to understand titles because titles do convey specific meanings. For instance, the Lamb of God, right? One of Jesus's titles is the Lamb of God. That title is specifically referring to his role as the sacrifice sent from God. Right, the sacrifice that would pay for our sins. The title Son of God is synonymous with Messiah, or particularly conveying his role as the Savior. You think about what that role is. What, what did the Savior come to do? The Savior came to make peace between God and man. So I think that, again, begs a question. What is significant about the title, Sons of God, that we should be blessed if we are called that? And I believe that it is because when Jesus stands on a mountain and he says, blessed are you who make peace, for you will be called sons of God. He is saying, when you make peace in your communities and in your world, you are so like me and what I came to do that I see it fit to give you my very title. That is the significance of that. God is calling us to be like him, and it makes sense. The primary redemptive role that Jesus came to fulfill was that of making peace between God and man. And so what we're going to set out to do tonight is look at all the different ways that Jesus Christ himself came to make peace between us and God and us and one another, and we're going to see how those translate into our lives, how those inform how we are called to make peace amongst one another. Let's move into it. So I want us to turn into Philippians 2, uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 11. I'll give you a couple seconds to flip there while I flip there myself. Now, I think it's just a great providence that what Paul is trying to accomplish when he's writing uh, this chapter of Philippians is he is trying to accomplish peace and unity amongst the believers in Philippi. And what does he do? He points them to the example of Jesus. So that gives us precedence for what we're setting out to do ourselves for tonight. Uh, But the first thing that I want you to see before we get into this passage is that Jesus Christ makes peace between God and man by making humble entrance into humanity. So Philippians 2, 3 through 11, you can read with me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here we go. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what you see here is that the first step that Jesus took in order to make peace between us and God is that he left the throne room of heaven and entered into the mess that is our world. Right? Think about that. In order for him to to make any kind of sacrifice for us, he took on humanity itself. God himself, who created life, who created light, who created you and me and continues to supply us with breath in our lungs, ran out of breath. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He made a humble entrance into this world in order to make peace with us. My exhortation to us today is that it is not for us to stand on the sidelines or to stand on the outskirts of what is happening in our world if we are to be like Christ. And that is the question today. Do you want to be like Jesus? Then make peace. And this is how Jesus did it. Entering into the mess, entering into the world. Jesus Christ himself who left the tidy, neat, socially just arena of heaven and stripped himself of all godliness. Becoming a man in order to step into literal chaos so that he might make for himself one people by the precious blood that was spilt that day by those whom he came to save. It is so often our tendency to sit on social media Uh, to stand on the sidelines, to throw insults, contempt, all these different things into the pot of problems instead of entering into it ourselves. And I want you to think of something else that Jesus said in that Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.13, he says, you are the salt of the world. Right? Think about in that cultural moment, salt was a preservative. So salt kept meat fresh. Or to put it negatively, salt kept meat from rotting. Do you see what Jesus is saying to Christians that he is saying to you and I? If you want to keep this world from rotting, get in there. Get into the mess. We cannot forfeit our blessing. And in fact, if we do forfeit the blessing of being able to take Christ's peace into the world, he'll just find someone else who is willing to do it in our stead. So I would encourage you today, humbly enter into the world. Right? And, and that was two words that, that I used in order to describe this step of how Jesus made peace. Humble entrance. It's not just that he entered. John Piper said this one time, it is not good news that the king is coming to see his rebellious subjects. That in and of itself is not good news. But when you hear that the king is coming to die for his rebellious subjects, that's good news. When you hear that the king is not coming as a king, but as one of us, that's even better news. And that's that first, that first word, humble, right? This is the astonishing thing about Jesus' entrance into the world is the humility of it. I mean, imagine this. The God of the universe who forms our mouths gives us the ability to talk, to think, to logic, to argue, all of these things. He is the one who has every right to stop you in the middle of your sentence, to speak over you, to silence the mouth of every man, woman, and child. But in all reality, he came in as a servant, sat down at tables with sinners, and listened to them talk. That's what it looks like for you and I to humbly enter into the world, is to talk to one another, to have dialogue and conversations Luke 5 records this conversation. This is right after Levi or Matthew uh, begins to follow Jesus, and Levi has his own house party where the disciples are there, but also 
Matthew's old friends from his old pastor there, the Pharisees and tax collectors. They begin to complain to the disciples about Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't cut them off in the middle of their conversation. He asks them a question, and they tell him their objection, and he answers it. They have another objection, and he answers it. It's a civil discourse that's happening. And again, imagine that. Jesus Christ is the one who has every right to shut the mouths of anyone who would try to speak. And yet, how much less willing are we to talk and more so to listen than Jesus Christ himself? Part of, part of a humble entrance into the world and, and in humanity and in our communities in order to make peace is James 1.19. You probably know the verse. Uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen. I mean, wow, whoa, I was not expecting you to ask me about why I think the way I do or what my thoughts are on this matter. That was very quick of you to ask me that question. Think about slow. Right? When you are on the interstate and it's jam-packed, the lanes are full, there's, there's people just driving slow in front of you. After a few minutes, I'll just talk of personal experience. I am practically begging for people to speed up. Now, I want you to think back on your own life. Have you ever been in a situation where you have been so slow to speak that people have practically begged you to give your thoughts or opinions on the matter? Probably not. I know not for me, right? Because I'm so quick to speak instead of quick to listen. But then James tags on the be slow to anger at the end as well because what he's trying to say is even though you may hear something, it doesn't mean you understood it. Language is two parts. It's what I say and it's how you perceive it. And so James is saying seek not just to hear but to listen, to understand, to make mediation, again to make peace. So the first step for us in, in being peacemakers like Jesus Christ himself is by making humble entrance. I want us to move forward to Colossians. We're going to look at our second way that Jesus makes peace in the world, perhaps one of the most significant ways. And this is Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that being Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The second thing you see in the second way that Jesus makes peace in the world is personal sacrifice. I mean, I think it is self-explanatory what Christ came to do. But in case you don't know, right, Christ came, left heaven uh, in the form of a man on earth, lived a life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, rose again from the grave to validate all the claims that he had made, and then ascended and is seated on high at the right hand of the Father, ruling, reigning, and praying for his people right now. Right? That is the sacrifice that Jesus made. Again, we talked about it previously, not just uh, him dying, but even just being a human, the sacrifice that that is for God to make. So he sacrificed, and, and in our lives, what does that look like when we make personal sacrifices? And, and I'll just tell you myself, in attempts to be a peacemaker, uh, as a pastor, believe it or not, I've done my fair share of mediation and whenever you are counseling or trying to bring two parties together, it does not take long for their problems with one another to find uh, those same problems imposed on yourself all of a sudden. Now you're the bad guy. People have problems with you because you're siding with this person or that person, etc. But that's natural. One of the things that I've learned about people lashing out in anger is that anger is oftentimes a last-ditch effort to manipulate a situation. And, and, and I want you to think, I mean... 
in, in moments like that, when we have to put skin in the game, when we begin to be insulted, when we begin to, to be maligned, when we begin to be reviled, that's when we tend to step out. But here's where I would encourage you. Don't stop making peace. Right, right before Jesus was crucified, he says, I, I'm not losing my life. I'm laying it down. I could call 12 legions of angels at any point, and they could take me back home. What if when someone had insulted him in Galilee, he just snapped his fingers and called the homies to come and take him up to heaven, right? What if he had done that? But he did not stop. He continued to persevere and personally sacrifice in order, in order to make peace between us and God. A great story of just the personal sacrifice and, and the reviling that he endured is in Mark 3, 20 to 22. And, and I won't, well... Now, I won't, I won't take you there, but, but Mark 3, 20 to 22, Jesus is entering into his hometown. He's casting out demons, and someone literally tells him that he's possessed by Satan. I've never had anyone revile me. I've never had anyone persecute me, malign me to the point that they have told me I was possessed by the devil. And if I'm Jesus at that point, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. You, you guys got this on your own. You can handle the situation yourselves. But he does not bow out. He does not bow out. He continues to stay in the mix, fighting for peace, making peace. It is difficult, and it takes sacrifice. That's the exhortation for us. When it begins to get hard, that's when peace is about to happen. So don't stop. Even further in 1 Peter 2.23, it says that when Jesus was reviled, he himself did not revile. So again, in terms of personal sacrifice, when you make peace, do not lash out in anger and do not retreat, but sacrifice and sacrifice yourself. Peace is worth it. And this is how we ourselves can be very much like Jesus Christ, sacrificing ourselves for the sake of peace. So you see humble entrance, you see Christ making peace by personal sacrifice. We're going to turn to Ephesians 2 now. Uh, to look at our, our last two points on how Jesus Christ makes peace in the world. Ephesians 2, this is just a great passage for all of us to spend just a week of quiet times in during this cultural moment because of everything that's happening around us. But I want to read Ephesians 2, 13 to 17. I'll give you just a second to turn there. Okay, Ephesians 2, 13 to 17. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one, here it is, this is the one I want to know, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace." He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The first thing, again, we're going to get two points out of this, but the first thing that I want us to see is that Christ made peace by tearing down walls. And this is convicting because what is our natural inclination to, to build up walls? I mean, so often some of these very walls that Christ himself has torn down, we are working so hard to bring back up. But I want you to think about all the distinctions that are not biblical that we as humans have created. There's distinctions of race, right? Biblically, there is one race, 
the human race. We've created distinct distinctions of race. We've created distinctions of culture. We have created distinctions of political parties, denominations. We are people bound to create distinctions. We build up walls as opposed to Jesus, who in efforts to make peace, tears down walls. I want you to look. I'm, I'm in Colossians 3.11 right now. Uh, Paul takes that thought of, of tearing down walls, and he just takes it a step further in Colossians 3.11. He says, in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and is in all. That is every, that's every distinction listed right there in that passage torn down. That's socioeconomic distinctions, racial distinctions, all these different distinctions torn down. But again, you and I try so hard to bring them back up. But, but what do we do? That begs a question because we do feel like there are these walls that divide us in the church. What do we do when we come to these walls that seem insurmountable? And again, I just want to lean on the example of Paul here. I won't take you all the way through it, but I want to take you to the example of Paul in the book of Romans. The problem that Paul is addressing in the church of Rome is one simple problem. Jews and Gentiles are going to church together. And it's just creating chaos. They don't know how to live amongst one another. And what's Paul's solution? He gives the most detailed, intricate, glorious, dense display of the gospel that we have in the scriptures. I mean, lays out every single detail of the life and sacrifice, resurrection, and ascension of Christ that we have all in one place in the Bible. For you and us... In order to tear down walls, we have to focus on what is higher than the walls themselves, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you and I have problems uh, with, with earthly distinctions that we've made, political distinctions, you and I have to focus on the gospel. But here's another problem that we run into. People are so run dry on Jesus that they don't have enough Jesus within them to carry on a conversation about Jesus. We as the church are not saturating ourselves with the gospel that transcends all these walls that you and I put up, that the world puts up, trying to divide people into different groups. And as the church, we have to constantly be fixing our eyes and our minds on Christ. If we do not have the gospel at the forefront of our, of our vision, at the forefront of our conversations, we will not be able to overcome these walls. But where Christ tore down a wall, he built a bridge. That bridge is the gospel of peace in Jesus Christ. When the walls are high, I encourage you, walk across the bridge with your brother or your sister. That is the only way to make it past. Do not focus on the things that we use to distinguish ourselves from one another, but focus on Christ, Christ crucified and resurrected. Our final way that Christ makes peace and from the same passage is specifically verse 15. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, here it is, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. So the last two ways that Christ makes peace is by tearing down walls and by making us one new person. And I want you to notice something about this passage. 
It's not that one group absorbs another. The Jews did not absorb the Gentiles into their group once they were saved. Vice versa. In our day and age, Republicans and Democrats don't absorb one another into their own cultures when they're saved. White, black, Hispanic, Asian don't absorb all other groups into their own. Instead, one new, distinct man is created in the place of many. There are so many rich theological essays just on this verse about a new race of man called Christian. That is what Christ has created. Notice that these people who are struggling in all these different churches with unity and making peace amongst one another, Paul doesn't write and think to himself, gosh, those problems are really hard. Those walls are really high. You know what? The best way just to keep this thing moving forward, okay, you people with your preferences, you go and plant a church here. You people with with your preferences, you go and plant a church here. Paul does not tell them to do that. Instead, he continues to exhort them, talk with one another, struggle with one another, dialogue with one another, fight for peace with one another, because that is ultimately how the glory of God is displayed in our churches. When people of all sorts of differences are gathered together, the one similarity shines brightest, and that's Jesus Christ. Can we say that about our church, or have we built our walls too high and we focus on those too much for people who worship Christ but have different, different opinions on other things for them to come and worship with us? We have to focus on what makes us one new person, and that is Christ himself. And the church is able to be unified despite all these differences because it's made of people who put their own freedoms aside for the sake of one another. Turn to 1 Corinthians 8, 4 to 13 with me. This passage, I read this, and I've, I've been reading this through this season, and it is such, I mean, we need this word right now. And it's a passage I think so many people get confused about, but we're going to read through it. And again, I just want, before you even get into it, I'm going to tell it to you so that you can just see it throughout this passage. The people of God are created, are disposed because of the Holy Spirit within us to put aside their own freedoms, their own rights for the sake of others. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 8.4. About eating food sacrificed to idols. This is something that, that the members of, of the Church of Corinth had written to Paul about. Well, some of our people like to eat Food that's sacrificed to idols, that offends some people. What do we need to do? So Paul's answering this. About eating food sacrificed to idols. Then we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him. We exist for him. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Listen to this. Verse 8. Food, this is the crux of the whole argument. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But Listen, God, this is so huge, but be careful that this right, right? Paul is acknowledging to these people, you have a right. You have a freedom to eat this meat. But again, in verse 9, but be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. Move down with me to verse 13, 
Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. I am going to upset some of you with saying this. This is important. Pull out your pen. Write this down. B-M-A-L-L-E-T-T-E at valleydale.org. You can send your complaints there. If a piece of cloth over my face or fabric on a metal pole offends my brother, I give it away. It does not bring me closer to God. Do we understand this? Sure. And, and, and I, I mean, we see in this passage that Paul is saying this exact same thing. Sure. As citizens of America, you have a freedom. You have a right to not wear a mask, to fly whatever flag you want to fly. But as, as Philippians 2 makes so clear, as our citizenship is in heaven, I am obligated, therefore, to give up my freedoms for the preferences of my brothers and sisters in Christ. When a church is divided on issues like these, we give deference to one another. It is not about us. It is about being made one new man in Christ, focus on the gospel. Cloth on our face or on a pole does not bring us closer to God. Brothers and sisters, are we making peace or making war over trivial, silly things? Fight for peace. And I just want to point you to one to one other path. Let, let me put myself on the chopping block. When this whole thing started with the COVID-19 pandemic, I, I really am putting myself on the chopping block. I'm not proud of this. When this whole thing started, we were in church. We're starting to, Kirkwood's telling people, hey, don't shake hands because we want to be aware of this virus that's going around that could be detrimental to a lot of people. I look at one of our college students and I say, if you got it, I want it. I put my hand out to shake his hand. How ignorant, arrogant, prideful, unhelpful of me to do. But I read this passage and God struck me in the heart. It's a mask. And and it's an offense to people around me. So I'm going to give it up. It is not important to me. Not wearing a mask brings me no inches closer to Christ. In fact, I would argue it brings me farther from Christ because I am not respecting the people around me and the preferences that they have. Be mallet at valleydale.org. There you go. You got it. I want to close with this. Um, You may have heard of a group called Beautiful Eulogy. They're incredible. They do a lot of spoken word, uh, but they often feature uh, a pastor um, named Pastor Azertia. And he has this clip that's been called The String That Ties Us. Incredible. But I want to read it for us, and then I'll wrap it up. The String That Ties Us. Let's suppose that a kite could come to life and develop its own personality. On the one hand, it would feel the exhilaration that comes from the surges of wind that direct it through the sky. On the other hand, it would almost immediately take notice of something annoying. The tugging of the string at its center. A feeling of constraint. Resistance. Soon, the kite begins to think to itself, if only I could detach, then I could really fly. To the kite, you see, it seems that the string is limiting its full experience of freedom. But as any boy or girl who has ever flown a kite knows, were that string to suddenly snap, the kite wouldn't soar freely for very long. 
It would dart to and fro for a minute, maybe two, but very soon thereafter, it would end up on the ground in a pile of broken sticks and torn paper, never ever to fly again. Rather, you see it is the taut line between the kite and the one holding it that enables the kite to fly. It allows all the principles of aerodynamics to come into play so that the kite might achieve its full purpose. Christian love performs the very same function as a kite string. You take away the stabilizing force of Christian love in every towering gift, every supernatural power, every sacrificial act, every musical performance, you name it, friends, it will all, all end up on the ash heap of eternal insignificance. I want to read this this verse. It's just a page over in my Bible from the passage we just read a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And I'll end with this. Do you want to be like Jesus? Make peace. Pray with me. Father, we pray for your help, for convictions uh, that are occurring in our hearts right now. Would you, would you lead us to repentance? For questions that, that are rising in our minds right now, would you lead us to have helpful dialogue and conversations with one another? God, in ways that I have, have erred, would you uh, bring people to, to peacefully bring those things up to me and, and help me to have conversations with them as well. But God, we do not apologize for standing on the solid ground that is your word. As citizens of America, we are entitled to certain things, but much more largely, and again, as the word of God tells us, as people whose citizenship is in heaven, we are called to a higher standard. God, may it be so with us, and may we be so like you because of how we make peace in our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.